This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, Nerdy Cappy, and our patrons over on Patreon. Find the links to all of these in the description. Hello and welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst of LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis. And I'm Jazza John. And today we're going to be discussing... Uh, actually, not a genre of cinema, but a specific show that is Heart, Heart Stopper. Stopper. I don't know why it sounds so weird when you separate oh. those two syllables out together. But yes. Well, because it sounds like somebody's heart is literally stopping. Literally stopping. And that is a bad thing. Medically our... inadvisable. Problematic. Well, so essentially, we obviously, well, as of us recording this, the strikes are still on, but Heart Stopper is, in fact, it turns out not a struck production. And so we thought it might be good to talk about it because it's obviously a huge release within the old queer community. And we did do a special on it for season one and people seemed to like it. So we thought we would do one for season two as well. 100%. On a scale of one to ten, Rowan, where are you on Heartstopper? As in how stopped is my heart? How, how far am I through it? How stopped what, is your heart? Should we be talking about? Should we call an ambulance? Essentially, is what I'm asking. No, we're like like just your your gut feeling. What what would you give it out of ten? The season two. Jazza, what are you do? Listen, everyone who's listening, Jazza's gone rogue because famous, <laughs> yeah. like famously, we save the ratings to the end and it's out of six. So I don't understand where this what what on a scale of how I'm 10? just. I'm just trying to. Is this to, new for TV shows? Is this like a TV this show? This is new bit for TV doing? shows. Yeah, there's actually now 10 colors in the rainbow flag. I love uh, that. Okay, fine. You don't have to answer me. That's I'm, all right. Instead, did you, do we did you do... want to give your rating out of 10, Jazza? Is that why? Yeah, I kind of did. Um, okay, well, spoiler alert for how Jazza felt about the show. So I I think we we like maxed out our ratings last time for Heartstopper. Mm. I, if I could, I would give it higher ratings so which maybe is why it's out of 10 so i actually yeah 10 out of 6 i actually preferred this season to the first season but we'll get into that a little bit later first off though rowan what is the gayest thing that you did since the last episode well i volunteered at a queer summer camp camp for the queer for the queer youth a kwama camp yeah it was very fun i literally got back last night i think i literally got back to my house close to midnight so I'm a sweepy baby and I'm also a little bit sick. So <laughs> apologies if my voice is sounding particularly gravelly, but I thought that was pretty, pretty queer. Mm-hmm. It is? Yeah, yeah, no. Well done. Good for you. So I'm I'm going to continue my general theme of talking about my romantic life mm-hmm. as a way of being Classic. able yes, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the gayest thing. It defines me. I went to a speed dating Night, yeah. Met 28 gay men in 45 minutes. Did any of them match with you? I don't want to talk about that. No! Jazza! Does that mean you didn't get any matches? I'll tell you off. I'll tell you off, Mike. Redacted, redacted. I'll tell you off, Mike, how it went. But UMP it was, after like, dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why don't we have that spin-off? But yeah, I... I. So there was one guy who had just moved to New York where I live from Silicon Valley worked in tech and we were having this conversation he was like oh yeah I thought that this would be a really good way to meet people at scale and I was like to meet people at scale way to dehumanize every single one of us but also why am I turned on right now yeah dehumanization I guess (laughs) 
It really Stop does it, it for Jessica. Talk about our KPIs, yeah. <laughs> I, if it makes you feel any better, I once did a blind date, like a charity blind date thing, except I turned out I was the only queer woman who applied to it. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah, I want to like, you know, it's cute, it's a charity, like whatever, my friends were doing it. I was like, yeah, go on then. The poor boy that I was matched up with, I was like, sir, I'm so sorry, this is not... This is not like good going anywhere. I think I was, they kind of just didn't really know what to do with me. Amazing. Okay, so without further ado, let's get into it. And oh, what's the thing I'm going to choose? Let's kiss in front of the Mona Lisa and review Heartstopper season two. Okay, so normally when we're talking about movies, we do the three acts, we go through it very methodically. Whereas I feel like, one, if we try to go through the entirety of the plot of the entire season two, beat by beat, we would be here all year because it would inevitably take us longer than the actual show is long. So how do you want to do this, Jazza? Should we talk about different characters, different themes, different like bits that jumped out to us? What are you thinking? For me, I the most the reason that I liked this more than season one is primarily because of the expansion of the secondary characters. So mm. the expansion of like the home lives of Elle, for example, and Tao meeting their parents. Darcy especially mm. is the one who has the most turbulent home life. And I think that it was, I think that the, the, the show had a challenge of having its reputation as being this it is almost kind of like bubble gummy, right? Like the the and and there were bits of the show where Charlie and Nick's relationship was a little bit saccharine for me. Like it was a bit too sickly sweet. But then I also remember what it was like when I was kind of like crushing on somebody and had a relationship for the first time when I was like their age, maybe not their age, maybe a little bit younger. And I remember saying some of the stuff like I remember Charlie at one point tells Nick oh I've I haven't kissed you in like two days and all I want to and all they do all Charlie fucking talks about is wanting to kiss Nick and I'm like this is like you were like relatable content calm I was like first of all I was calmed down lads and then I was like oh no I was this I was reminded that that this was what I was like when I was kind of like a little a little baby gay but I, I think it had that challenge of of balancing the sweetness with the challenges of like Nick's multiple different stages of coming out. And I loved the acknowledgement and the building of this season around Nick's kind of like multiple coming outs to different people in different ways. Like I think that was really wonderful to see. But also the some of the really negative stuff that especially Darcy deals with and it gets a little bit darker towards the end of the towards the end of the season even though we still have this broadly positive experience of these queer kids being broadly accepted by the adults around them and all of those kind of things how did you feel about the way that they built out the secondary characters no completely the same i think especially with Darcy We'd seen a lot of very accepting parents within season one. And I know that we, within season two, we get, for example, like Charlie's mum, who is not unsupportive, but is a little bit more strict. And there's, she is a character within the comics that a lot of people have been having a lot of conversations around. And that in 
most recent updates, we've seen a little bit more exploration of her and like the reason why she acts this particular way around Charlie, which has been really interesting, but it's not necessarily like fully the type of, I mean, abusive relationship that we do often see within sort of like homophobic parents that has often been not necessarily criticized, but talked about as being like either falling into melodrama or into kind of like tragedy porn when it comes up over and over and over again within queer narratives of teenagers, but that it it does still happen. And so I think that there have been some decisions made by Alice and by the show, which feel very like dramaturgically cohesive in that they know that the show that they are producing is not going to shy away from difficult topics, but it's also not going to explicitly portray them in like a sensationalized way or in a way that could like feel traumatic for people who are going through that. And so obviously we already know that this has already been something that Alice has practice in because for those who don't know, Heartstopper is a webcomic that then got turned into graphic novels. But the webcomic was based on Nick and Charlie, these two characters from Alice's novel Solitaire. And Solitaire has a lot darker tone. Actually had a re-release where the tone was lightened slightly. Alice wrote it when they were, I think, like 16, 17. A teenager. So it's very, very mired in that sort of teenage like darkness that can can come when you're that age but there was this kind of deliberate decision to be telling the story of of Nick and Charlie in a way that felt a little bit lighter even as it dealt with heavy topics and so we see it in things like Charlie's eating disorder and how that's dealt with that we'll talk about a bit later probably in this um, episode but in terms of Darcy we you know this argument that she's having with her mum is muted for example so we don't necessarily have to hear the like awful all of the awful things that are being said we know that like nothing happens to Darcy when she is like sleeping rough for the night we know at the end of the season that she has somewhere to land that we potentially will be at her girlfriend's house or one of her friends is going to take her in and and I really felt like in that moment where we saw that, like I was in my head thinking about the different characters and I was like, oh, there's like multiple characters that I can see taking in this like girl. She's not going to have nowhere to go. It's not going to be a storyline that's sort of prolonged in her suffering. And I think that was a really interesting kind of very cohesive way of doing it where a lot of these topics are not avoided. It's not completely sugary sweet. Nothing ever goes wrong, but it's always dealt with in a way that feels like it's not trying to, it's not going to be, upsetting in like a prolonged and intense way for the young queer people watching. And so we saw it in season one with like the fact that we never see Elle's bullying, transphobic bullying in school. We saw it because we didn't see in season one. I think we only ever heard sort of one explicitly like queer slur that was positioned very, very, very carefully in the script. Like, and that that to me is a very interesting thing about Heartstopper that I think makes it particularly unique amongst other teen shows that end up with like an 18 rating and have a bunch of like 30 year olds playing these teenagers who are constantly like having yeah. explicit sex scenes on screen. Like all of these things feel very particular to this show. Did it feel, I had this niggling at the back of my mind all the way through the season though. And I think especially because of, because of how shit everything feels to be completely honest, especially in the US and in the, I mean, for goodness sake, in the, in the UK as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not, we're not excused from, the 
the homophobia and, and barrier that is swilling around political circles at the moment and how difficult it is to navigate that as a as a queer kid and i think especially because of the like in my in my borough in new york o'shea sibley was was stabbed in a hate crime for voguing at a gas station like a a couple of weeks ago and that was like at the front of my mind as like this there's there's none of that negativity nothing that extreme is there in this in this world that alice has created and it almost feels like this world even though it isn't void of difficult things to navigate and like challenges it felt like a world that was so much better than our own and i did question sometimes is this realistic and i then questioned do i want this to be realistic of my real time do i want it to be an escape to a certain extent like when when we after we reviewed the Last of Us, and especially The Last of Us Two, in the in the last episode that we did, there was a comment on our Discord. Somebody said that they expected me to be more negative about the 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 game because of how it's kind of like almost like it's so negative. It's almost like it's it's so negative to the extreme. Like the experience is really taxing, and we talked about kind of like that phenomenon of especially putting queer people into these like anti-queer spaces for the for the sake of furthering a narrative mm-hmm. but then because of how bad the situations are at the moment for especially young queer people navigating all of these challenges it did have me kind of like questioning what i actually wanted out of this and then eventually like my my reaction was you know what i deserve to to feel nice and to see kind of like some positive queer experiences and then it went back to like the reason that i really engaged with season one as well was because i I, like it it reminded me of the of the story that this it it made me think of the stories that i never saw when i was a queer kid yeah and we even have like one of the adults mr farouk who comes out who talks about coming out as gay in his late 20s and therefore missing all of these moments that you that these kids are having when they're younger and that grieving of not being able to have those experiences and that's something that we talked about when we talked about season one and I think I did a video on season one as well where I talked about the response from like adult reviewers where they were acknowledging both the like wonderful sweet incredible reactions from teenagers and like really being so happy for those young people for having that experience of Potstopper but then also having this sense of like grief and like sadness and frustration and anger at, at acknowledging the fact that they never had that experience. And I think that this season, I'd be interested to see the reviews and how they've shifted now that people who have reviewed that first season with a kind of a tinge of sadness know what to expect from this one and whether it feels like you can relax into it a bit more watching it, knowing that you've kind of had this process that element from season one that was so I think affecting to especially the people who were not familiar with the source material and didn't necessarily know exactly what to expect I said that we talk about the Charlie's eating disorder stuff which I think Mm -hmm. might be nice kind of talk about now because I think it's one of those things that when the season first when it was announced there was a season two and they knew that they were doing the the Paris storyline there were definitely some changes from the original source material so for example originally Tao didn't know about Nick and Charlie until Paris and finds out in Paris and this was something which 
is an example of ways in which an adaptation will change nowadays, not just because of doing exactly what's right for an adaptation, but because of the the nature of commissioning. In that if you don't know that you're getting a season two, you need to make a season one which is self-contained enough to work. And having a major character, a major friend of one of the characters not know about this relationship would would have certainly felt very out of place if we didn't get further seasons. Obviously, luckily we have. And so mm-hmm. there were some interesting decisions I thought made about how to navigate, like pulling through into a season two. And now we know season three as well. So for example, I said we were talking about Charlie Seek Disorder and I've totally gone down a different route, but who cares? Yeah, I'm editing okay. this, I'll figure it out. So for example, talking about those side characters, Isaac's asexuality was a running sort of like background hum throughout the series and then we got these which were mainly focused around moments in which Isaac was clearly feeling very out of place during Mm -hmm. these elements of teenage life that were so hyper focused around sex and romance I mean and also every single one of his friends is in some kind of a relationship yeah and even as somebody who isn't ace I I find that really stop it everyone no no thank you (laughs) but yeah that that is really tricky for him to navigate and that we had some, we have some specific scenes and storylines with him in. I'm kind of excited to see because our our like knowledge of Isaac is very much, probably I would say the least out of all of those central characters in terms of knowing his home. We don't really know his home life. Like we know obviously that he's like a massive bookworm, and we're starting to to find out that he's Arrow Ace as well. But other than that, there's not too much we know about him. But it definitely feels like this is like a storyline where we're building up to a sharper focus as at least one of those plot lines going into season three, which I'm really excited about because it's also one of those things where obviously of the webcomic and the sort of showrunner of the show, the writer of the show, Alice Oseman is themselves Arrow Ace. And so it's something that clearly is going to be coming from a very personal and authentic place. And I'm, I'm glad that we're getting this kind of longer coming out self-discovery process I guess because I think we've had we have a real mix right we have some characters who are already out at the start of the show to themselves like they've already figured out their sexuality Mm. we had Nick in the first season figuring out that kind of element of bisexuality and now I think allowing that space for a coming out and an understanding storyline especially around RA's identities that are so underrepresented and would make doubly more sense for a young person to not even know that they existed let alone be something that they could be i think is really exciting to me so i'm very excited to figure that out i think that isaac isaac also alongside darcy i think probably had my favorite character arc here i think probably because it also because of the nature of of isaac's storyline it wasn't so kind of like focused on i want to kiss you blah, blah 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 all of that kind of stuff and it really portrayed very well, like the discovery of a word that kind of makes sense for your identity that we hadn't seen. Like people were very comfortable. Other loads of characters are like comfortable being like, oh, I'm bi or I'm gay or I'm a lesbian and finding those labels really relatively easily. Whereas Isaac, it seems like Isaac doesn't really know that this is an option until there's that conversation with the artist at the show and it, the whole kind of like concept of being a ace gets gets explained and i also really enjoyed the look at me living for drama i really enjoyed when isaac snaps at the rest of the friends 
at the friend group mm-hmm. because I can com- empathize and understand with that kind of like feeling of feeling pressured to do these kinds of things like they spin the bottle games and all anybody is talking about is being like, ooh, you like so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And I really enjoyed that portrayal of the pushback. I'm just going to butt in here. Um, Hello, interrupting myself and Jazza, to let you know about the sponsors of this episode. So the first one is, you know them, you love them, long-term supporter of the podcast, the amazing Squarespace. I looked it up earlier. I actually have been using Squarespace since I very first made my own website back in like 2015, I think it was. So coming up on my 10 year anniversary. So we are so excited to let you know once again that we have, of course, got a little deal, a little coupon code for you. If you are looking to make a website, Squarespace is an amazing all-in-one platform to do just that. You can grow a brand, you can create a beautiful website about something that you care about, you can engage with your audience, you can sell products in a shop, anything you could possibly want to do with a website you can do with Squarespace. So back in 2015, I actually used their blogging tools a lot. I would do posts up there before I did more like video essay type stuff on YouTube. I would essentially post little mini essays up on the blog there, which has been long since disbanded. But if you are still interested in posting that kind of stuff, then they have amazing tools. So you can share your stories, ideas, reviews, videos, photos, updates. You can also use their tagging systems. You can categorize all of your posts to make them really easy to find as well as share them and schedule them so that you can essentially make your content work for you and your schedule. One thing I actually have never used my Squarespace site for, but I don't know, who knows, maybe in the future, me and Jazza joke about making queer movie podcast merch all the time. Maybe we'll do it through the online shop on Squarespace so you can sell products in your online store, whether physical, digital, or different services. They have got all of the tools you need to start selling online. And if you're thinking, hey, how would you even go about doing that? That seems very complicated. That would be so many web pages, and then I'd have to make them all look nice. Uh, No, 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 you don't need any skills in that, as evidenced by the fact that I have a website that doesn't look like trash, because they have some amazing website design systems, specifically something called Fluid Engine, which allows you to customize, drag and drop as well uh, for desktop or mobile. So you can use your imagination coupled with the amazing templates that already exist in order to make the site that you want. So if that all sounds up your street, then check out squarespace.com for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com forward slash queer movie to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And our second sponsor is Nerdy Kepi, the amazing quality queerwear company from Portland, Oregon. They are family owned, trans operated and unionized and provide pride gear that is subtle, sustaining and suitable for work. With a variety of pride flags and sizes all the way up to 5XL in most items. Whether you're looking for something which is, you know, a subtle, quiet, showing your pride at school or work, or a, hello, I am quite gay, how are you, and everything in between, they've got a kind of design for you. They're all about everything nerd, from science and space to obscure animals and D&D jokes. And all of their employees fall somewhere under the LGBTQIA plus umbrella. So the person who designed your dress or answered your questions probably shares an identity with you. 
And it also means that you're guaranteed to get someone attentive and understanding if you have anything that you want to go to customer service with, whether that is a question that you might have around the fit of any of their clothes, or just, you know, whether you've got an idea for a pattern for a new shirt, or you have a pride flag that you would love to see in their collection. They are absolutely ready to go to listen to all of your ideas. So you can check them out at the incredible website, ithaspockets.gay. That is right, it has pockets. Dot gay and use our code queer movie for 20% off your first purchase. And finally, the podcast was brought to you today by our amazing patrons over on Patreon. We want to say a special shout out to Jennifer and Toby, who are at our rainbow parent tier, the highest tier on our Patreon. Amazing. Thank you so much. Clap, clap, cheer, cheer. But to everyone who's supporting us over there, it is so fun every month to be watching queer movies with you, which we do on our watch alongs to also be making top 10 lists for you, lists of queerest things on the internet, and just generally to know that we have your support in talking about all things queer cinema and beyond. If you are interested in supporting us over on Patreon or would like to see any of the perks that are available, then the link will be in the description as well. And finally, as I'm sure you all know, we are a member of Multitude Productions, an amazing podcast collective. Uh, And we love to shout out one of the other shows on their network every episode because we feel like you'd probably enjoy it as well. Uh, And today we want to talk about spirits. This was the very first podcast from the network that I ever listened to. It is incredible. It is a mixture of both history and comedy, a podcast focused on everything folklore, mythology and the occult. But told through the lens of sort of modern feminism, queerness and, you know, everything going on in society right now. So every week, This is how it works. Mythology buff Julia and her childhood best friend Amanda get together to learn about a different story from mythology and folklore over some drinks, because spirits, obviously, has a double meaning. We love a good pun over here. That could be everything from the mythology origins of your favourite film franchise to urban legends from listeners, which I love those episodes, to a roundup of, you know, mermaid myths and stories from around the world. You can start listening to any of their episodes because there are over 300 of them over the last seven years. You can dive in at any point. There is so, so much to enjoy, whether you're here for, you know, the deep analysis uh, or just a little bit of fun. You can dive in at spiritspodcast.com or search for spirits wherever you download your podcast to give it a listen. The I'd love to talk about the eating disorder stuff as well. So I've I've talked about in the past the fact that I have suffered from eating disorders in the past. And I'm always really sensitive about the way that it gets portrayed. Sometimes it's the case for trigger warnings. Sometimes I'm just really not into the way that eating disorders are portrayed. And I think the sensationalizations of something like the whale is a really, like it's a different kind of eating disorder to the one that I had, but like showing those really exaggerated, disgust-fueled kind of like sides of food and eating, I think is not the best way of being able to portray, portray that. I will say, I, the fact that Charlie knows that his disorder is around control it's very impressive for somebody of of that age <laughs> like i i i like a lot of people with eating disorders it, it it a lot of it is based in control and trying to control kind of like this one thing while everything else is kind of like going a bit bananas but i wasn't able to talk that articular about it for a while but then it, until i was much older but then i again was kind of like oh this isn't meant to be like a one-for-one realistic representation. Mm. This is kind of like an idealized, almost like a fantasy 
space where people are able to kind of like talk about their feelings mm. in a much more articulate way than a normal like 14 15 year old would be able to I also um, think that there is an element of like that feeding into the fact that this is not a new thing that's happening for Charlie. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't like for Nick, it's completely new and terrifying and scary. And I thought that was a really interesting way of portraying it that to Charlie, it's something that he had dealt with, but was was going to continue to be a part of him as someone who does have, as we kind of find out and we'll be finding out specific diagnoses that happen further on in the storyline, things like mm -hmm. OCD that obviously links into control and and eating disorders they, and anxiety that can all kind of be swirling together and, and is in the case of Charlie, that he's sort of like used to it in a way. It's like a thing that he had a real yeah. problem with that he's kind of figured it out, but it doesn't just like magically go away because the bullying stopped. Like mm. there's these triggers that are always going to come back for him that he's going to have to be really careful of and that, that, that it focused more on the idea of like this person who really loves him and cares about him and is scared and doesn't want to do the wrong thing and wants to you know make sure he's okay and I thought that was a really interesting way of portraying that that I hadn't necessarily seen before that it could be this like quiet sort of worry and tenderness to that relationship that I thought was kind of a very interesting way of going about it because we also know that this is not gonna necessarily again like be the end of the the story when it comes to Charlie and his mental health and so that was really interesting. And also when I think about mental health and eating disorders and young persons media, for my age group and I imagine for you as well, the show that comes to mind is Skins, Skins. and Cassie, Cassie's scene in the canteen and Skins with her chips that every single young person that I know knows and was also used as sort of like this awful thin spoke like eating disorder in it was type of it a was scene. yeah it was a tutorial yeah in a way that that was sort of part of the edginess of skins that was again like a teenage show that was rated 18 where this character cassie essentially gives a tutorial to another character on how she gets away with not eating anything but pretending to people that she's eating by using a bunch of techniques and i think that the looking at the difference between how that is dealt with in that show versus something like Heartstopper, you can really see how the exact same storyline and the exact same condition can be dealt with very differently for, for the same audience and without sort of sanitizing it necessarily, still still acknowledging the fact that this happens and, the, and how destructive it can be, but not having it be something that in itself can cause damage, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I... I'm not really uh, so I, I'm 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 not sure where kind of like it goes with the rest of of Charlie's kind of like mental health, but I think that what we that was kind of like one of the darker sides of Charlie and, and Nick's relationship, where both of them are trying desperately to to save one another from external forces that they have absolutely no control over. So. Charlie is there at the beginning of the season being like, I'm going to protect Nick and help him to come out to all of these people. And Charlie actually is the only thing that he can provide Nick is like support when everything goes badly or like a place to vent or like a, a cuddle or any of kind of like those kinds cuddle. of things. Just a little cuddle. And I felt <laughs> I ended up being really... These were some of the things that I got quite emotional about, especially the... 
the brothers, the brother mm. relationship between Nick and his brother, David, David, where Dave. shakes fist, where, like I thought, uh, like this is this is one of the worser, worser. This is what one of the worser things that one of our characters goes through. And then all I could think about was uh, the circumstances of like if you are a queer kid and you don't have Olivia Coleman as your mum mm. in real life, you don't have Olivia Coleman as your mum, you don't have this network of kids. And you have a homophobic brother like that. And it just made me, it just made me really emotional and and, uh, sad and worry. Like I'm at a stage where loads of my friends are starting to have like little humans. Mm. And what kind of, like, I'm so glad that these little humans now have this media as kind of like almost a playbook, I think, for stuff like how to navigate your your identity how to ask for consent how to talk about your feelings in a in a good way and stuff like that but again like coming back to the what is the world that these kids are actually growing up in these real life people are actually growing up in yes it's better because we have this representation but is there going to be other stuff that is going to make this world harder and worse for us I don't I don't know. I had I held those two kind of like feelings of I'm so glad this exists, but also the the worry about like what happens for kids who don't see who don't have these experiences of these mm. characters on screen. I held those two kind of like niggles in my head all the way all the way through it to be honest. That's very fair. Thank you. <laughs> well done. I also really like speaking of David, how Tori, obviously we got the Europathetic man Legend. scene. Yeah. I love Tori so much. So again, Tori is the main character in Solitaire. That's like why a lot of people who know that novel, which obviously was the origin of Heartstop, have a particular love for Tori. There is also one iconic character missing from the show. And I do understand. I think everyone understands why he wasn't included. That is Charlie's little brother who is adorable and also is obsessed with Nick and it's the cutest thing in the comics. He's constantly just like, Nick, Nick, come and play with me. And Nick's so good with him. It's very cute. But it would have just been a nightmare to cast a kid in the show, especially one who's like, doesn't actually have anything to do with the plot. It's just sort of around and adorable. Like there's a really great, I think it's like he overhears Charlie saying like I love you, like practicing saying I love you to Nick. And then mm-hmm. as soon as Nick next comes over to the house, this kid's like, Nick, guess what, Charlie? And it's like, shut up. No, no, no. Like you could go into another, just throw the child into the living room. Like, mm-hmm. hi, Nick. Sorry, let's go. <laughs> Don't listen to my brother. It's very, very cute. So circling back again to the supporting characters, what are your thoughts and theories about a certain ally Oh well, they've they've seeded that she's bi, or that she's at least gonna give like some stuff a go, you know, right? Stuff a go. I am convinced. I know that it would it would be easier. I, I actually I I did I did just say that I I think that Imogen is probably my favorite character. I think she's so funny, <laughs> so hilarious. Okay, I I'm gonna say I think it's easier to make her bi. I think it makes more sense and I think it would be better if they make her they just make her a lesbian. Because I think she is a classic case of compet. She is the most classic case of compet in the world. She is so in love with the idea of having a boyfriend and so not interested in having an actual boyfriend. 
she's so in love with the idea of like it's literally like all of the guys that she goes for are guys that she's been friends with for years she's basically uh-huh. like this yeah it's like because we're best friends so we should just date right that's what people do they date they date boy the girls they date boys who they're friends mm-hmm. with that's how this works that she's very into it being very public that everything is like very performative that everything is very much like yeah it's, there is so much about her and also the the like ally to lesbian pipeline is also very strong i am convinced i'm could i'm I'm like, this would be more complicated to talk about, I think, than just being like, oh, she's already had boyfriends. If she now has girlfriends, she's bisexual. But I do think that the idea of having someone who has dated boys and then figures out that they weren't necessarily, especially as a teenager, that they weren't necessarily doing it because what they were feeling was like genuine romantic attraction to these boys, mm. but more, more this kind of assumption, this is what you have to do and that this is what everyone feels inside when they because I think that that's something that is very relatable to a, a lot of young lesbians of it's feeling like that pressure of this is what I'm meant to be doing and I think especially for someone like Isabel Isabel no. Imogen Imogen oh my god especially for someone like Imogen who is part of the popular crew mm-hmm. that she's part of a group of friends who I imagine were all the first to get boyfriends in their year where it was like we all go and double dates together with our boyfriends and the fact that she goes out with that she's kind of fancying and wants to go out with Nick that she's been really good friends with for years and then immediately hops on to Ben the other boy she's been friends with for years and that's like how she in this season two she talks to Nick about wanting to be with Ben and like one of the arguments is that they've known each other for years as well and I was like hmm tricky 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 and then mm. when we look at her looking lovingly, looking to be fair, To be fair, a bassist is always mm. hot. Regardless it's, of gender, a bassist is always a turn on. It's the exact framing of Nick's classic bisexual lighting yeah. moment where he looks at Tara and Darcy kissing. Also during the art show, when they're talking, the Tara and Darcy silhouette is behind them. Mm-hmm. There's so many hints that something might be going on there and I really, really hope it does. So I'm, and also hilariously, I met the actress who plays Imogen at the like pre-screening thing that they did for Heartstopper season Mm -hmm. one. And we were all discussing the fact that she was like, oh, I really hope that we get to do something fun with Imogen's sexuality. Like, I really don't think she's straight. I'd love for that to come up. So it might be that we're all getting our wish come true. And I think that would be a very... In- also, I just love the agenda of making like zero straight people. Zero sachets. Harry's the only straight person that exists in the Oseman-verse. Very big fan of this energy. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I do really enjoy that as well. Like, there's enough straight representation. Let's have an all-gay cast. So, shall we give it our, our very special rainbow rating? Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other stuff we haven't mentioned. I mean, we've we've talked around some other stuff, which is fantastic. The teacher's relationship I love. Oh my God, yeah. The seeding of a bunch of... It was a season two that is going to lead into at least one more season of season three. And I think sometimes you'll have a second season in a three season or like a second film in a trilogy or whatever. And it will be a little bit like fillery. And I really felt like that wasn't the case here, which I was really excited for. I still saw that seeding of of conversations and storylines to come, but it wasn't sort of completely unfulfilling as its own thing. I do think that we're getting a lot of these elements of things like Darcy's family life and like Charlie's mental health, which suffer from something that often happens within shows where a serious thing will be brought up and then it will sort of just never affect anyone again. Mm -hmm. And I think knowing 
having already read up to where the comics are, which are being updated, still kind of Alice, obviously the hardest working person in the world is continuing to update these comics while working on this show. I know that that isn't the case for any of the storylines that are canonical to the comics. And I, so I imagine that the same will be the case for, for all of these storylines which have been added. So like Isaac's storyline, like Imogen's storyline, like Darcy's storyline here. So I have like full faith that it's not going to be one of those things where it's like this character, we just give them like a little traumatic little thing in this episode and then we never mention it again. Tick. Yeah, Tick. we did the eating disorder storyline. Mm-hmm. Done. Done. And I think we can see that by the fact that we come into Charlie's eating disorder storyline halfway through for him. Like it's already not half, but do you know what I mean? It's it's not like some new thing that's happening that it's, it's yeah, something another character he already notices. has an understanding of like his relationship with his disorder yeah exactly so yeah i'm really really excited even though i'm literally just like can we just watch it now can i just have the next season (laughs) i just want the next season please i will say as well i definitely think the actors have become a lot more confident in their performances because we know that there's Mm -hmm. a lot of these actors were not had never acted before or at least definitely not anything professional i do think that i will i i love all of them but i will say that the actor that plays nick whose name has suddenly kit connor kit connor is is he's very very good like he's very I think very good he feels uh, yeah. which makes sense because he's had the most professional experience but i feel like he having that head start it feels really i can see moments where i feel like he's probably ad-libbing where he's like feels comfortable enough to mm-hmm. add in little bits of improv that make those scenes feel more natural and i'm really that is really exciting to me that we've got these characters and these performances which are gonna continue to improve as these young actors get more experience and are are becoming more comfortable with their characters and their roles I think that I really believed this like relationship between the two of them and this sweet awkwardness and this kind of steadiness from Nick and that like the scene where he says where he like hugs Charlie from behind and says he's recharging that already has had about a million edits on TikTok just very very sweetness and I I love the fact that young people are getting that sweetness. I did a TikTok where I basically was talking about like, here are some movies for like young, for teenagers. And even though I specified in this TikTok, it was movies for queer teenagers, every, which are like sweet and nice and wholesome. Every single comment is someone being like, you forgot Heartstopper. You forgot Heartstopper. You forgot Heartstopper. And I was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to correct you that it's in fact a TV show, not a movie because yeah, you're right. Every single, it's, it's so iconically known now as this very feel good, sweet, but not, completely meaningless sort of piece of media for queer young people and i feel like that's so special awesome so we give each of the piece it's now pieces of media the queer media podcast yes Um, we're the queer pieces of media podcast but the seo was not so good on that so we're sticking with the name queer movie podcast so we like to give our very special rainbow rating to each of the pieces of media that we talk about we will give each of them one of the six bars of the rainbow flag with each of the colours representing something different. So it is red for... Love. Orange for... Healing. Healing. Yellow for sunlight. Mm-hmm. Green for nature. Blue for serenity. And purple for spirit. Yeah, blue, harmony, serenity, basically the same thing. Yeah, you know, I've got a thesaurus open. I'm very no. impressed that you you did that without the script because normally you make me do it because you can't even read the colours off the script. Can so I... the fact that you managed <laughs> to do that is very impressive. Can I say I've been listening to you do it and I've been actually practising. 
that's growth, ladies and gentlemen. And yeah, look at me. People who are not members of the nobility, that's growth. I still couldn't remember red or orange yet. Mm-hmm. So I... Oh, it's a no-brainer. It's all six parts for me. Yeah, same. Okay, sure. that was really boring. Here we go, the end. <laughs> no. No, I'm I'm really excited. I mean, like, also, I mean, I feel like I maybe this disclosure should have gone at the beginning. So, oh well. Like, I know Alice, and I, but but also, like, I got to know Alice, and I first like heard about Alice's stuff through see like seeing Heartstopper online, and would after every on Twitter after every episode got of the webcomic, Alice would Dropped. obviously tweet yeah. a link, would drop it, and I would just reply with a screenshot of the funniest face from that episode but it wouldn't be a whole head it would literally just be the face so it wouldn't even have the outline of the face around it so it would functionally just be two eyes and nose and a mouth really zoomed in with just so you used to bully them you used to bully bully them yeah and then and i'm pretty sure the tweet would just say mood whatever the mood was that was the mood and it's so that's that was i guess that's how you that's that's i think a very strong foundation for a friendship but yeah i think it's i i think as well like i've Having been on this queer youth camp, I saw like firsthand how much of an impact this show was having on a lot of young people who were there. And it was something that a lot of them are huge fans of the of the show and the webcomic. And they all watched like a bunch of episodes together. Like they went to bed really, really late because we put what we thought was just going to be like one episode on for them. And they just kept watching continually until all of them were basically asleep on the sofas. And I think that was like particularly special because a lot of the people that I talk to about the show are people who are like my age and and are having these kind of conversations about it but it's really nice to see that our speculation around how wonderful we would have found it to have this as a teenager is still having an effect on young people now 100% and I had exactly the same experience when I was at the speed dating and we all watched Heartstopper and fell asleep on the couches together the same thing classic the exact same thing the exact same thing awesome And that is the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, then please consider supporting us over on Patreon. We will leave a link in the description. And as a patron, you can join our queer movie club where we do watch alongs of queer movies on our Discord every month. We also have perks which involve queer movie recommendations and a monthly newsletter. It's it's a great time. Check it out. We'd love to thank once more Jennifer and Toby for supporting us on the highest tier on Patreon, our queer We'd like to thank Jennifer and Toby once again for supporting us on the highest tier on our Patreon, the Rainbow Parent tier. Thank you so much. Um, Make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so you are notified of our next episode. And you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter if you are so inclined. We have been Jazza John and Rowan Ellis, and we are part of Multitude. Find more of their amazing stuff at multitude.productions. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. There we go. That was it. Done.